Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. When they write the history of COVID-19, it's likely the events of this week may mark a significant new chapter in the pandemic fight. These are the first results from any trials of COVID vaccines involving children under the age of 12. Pfizer has just announced that tests on 5 to 11-year-olds showed its vaccine was, in its words, safe, well-tolerated, and showed robust neutralizing antibody responses. The company plans to submit the data to the FDA and European regulators as soon as possible. That means a key component to getting the U.S. closer to herd immunity could be put in play sometime in October. This week on 880 In-Depth, why getting shots to younger kids is so important. How one prominent professor of pediatrics thinks U.S. officials stumbled badly in COVID messaging this year and how the Delta variant will play out during the school year. Up next what we need to know to protect our kids. Welcome to 880 In-Depth. I'm Tim Sheld from WCBS News Radio 880. How important is the news this week that Pfizer is ready to ask the FDA for emergency use authorization for their COVID-19 vaccine for children ages 5 to 12. We took that question to Dr. Lawrence Kleinman. He's a pediatrician and professor of pediatrics. In fact, he's vice chair of the Department of Pediatrics at Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson Medical Center. He spent time this week with our reporter, Peter Haskell. Pfizer is asking the FDA to allow giving the vaccine to children 5 to 11. What will the significance of that be? Vaccinating younger children 5 to 12 is incredibly important. It's a hugely significant step because there are about 30 million of those children in the United States. And if we as a society are going to reach herd immunity and slow or stop the transmission of this virus, we are going to need to vaccinate children this age and even younger. Before we get to herd immunity, just in terms of the spread of the virus, vaccinating these children, how might that impact the the overall spread? But it, it likely will reduce the overall spread 
He will also in, uh, reduce the anxiety associated with normal everyday events, such as sending your child to school. And um, from what we see, the vaccine reduces but does not eliminate spread. Everything we do that is a step to reduce spread, that is grounded in some data, is a plus. These things work together to make it safer. In terms of children in school, how might this make school safer? As safer, and what is it going to mean for for school and sending your kids to school? I think in the beginning, what it means is that there's less chance of your child getting sick, either right away or having long COVID from the virus if they are vaccinated. At some point, it may mean that we can reduce mask wearing or other things. This will not do that right away. Um, it, it does make school, it will make school a safer place if children are vaccinated. Is there a certain threshold that you see that at some point, at what point, I guess, do we say, we've reached this threshold, now we don't need masks in school? I think that there's not a single number. What the, the What is necessary to happen is to see that spread in the community is not happening with any regularity. So that has to do with how many people are vaccinated, the other sorts of things like masking, uh, physical distancing, ventilation that are happening around us. When you have vaccinated kids and a low amount of virus in the community without a lot of spreading, then you you no longer have the circumstances where masking is as important. Some people might choose to remain masked because they wanted to uh, uh, take every precaution, and that's a reasonable thing, um, or at least it, it for a long time that may be a reasonable thing. Um, but it may be that it becomes more of an option than a necessity, as it is right now. There was a point, I guess probably the end of last spring, where some of these mask mandates went away and fewer people were wearing masks. What was the impact of that? The impact of that is what we're seeing now. Um, That was bad public policy in my mind. It was aspirational and optimistic. And it would have made sense if we didn't have 50 million children who were not eligible for vaccination. So uh, as a pediatrician, when I heard these policies, I protested and I said, what about the children? I in fact wrote an op-ed piece that was published in CNN back in May um, asking people to continue to wear masks for their children's sake. The the problem is that this is a contagion that can spread from one person to the next, to the next. That means not only do the parents need to wear masks 
when they're with uh, uh, people they don't know. But the people in their inner circle need to wear masks when they're with people they don't know. Otherwise, the children remain at risk. There was this hope early on that there would not be breakthrough infections, but the data never suggested that these were 100% effective. I'm not aware of any vaccines um, that are uh, 100% effective in uh, stopping transmission of a live virus. And um, therefore, I I think that uh, it was optimistic and aspirational, but not grounded. I do think that the, the, the rise of the Delta variant and this increased incidence of COVID-19 in children was predictable and not an out of the blue surprise as some of the public narrative has. Just in terms of masking, you talk about bad public policy. It seemed like we had this hodgepodge of guidance. If you're vaccinated, if you're unvaccinated, if you're inside, if you're outside, if you're with people who are vaccinated, people who aren't vaccinated, it's like you needed uh, some kind of chart or computer to figure out how, how much of a problem did that pose and and did that set us back? So it, it's interesting as you were asking the question, I was reminded of my childhood and secret decoder rings in cereal boxes. And it felt like you needed a secret decoder ring. I agree. I think the messaging was imprecise, followed by multiple clarifications. I think it was guided by magical thinking that people who were resistant to vaccination would be generous enough in this context to wear masks when they were in public places and thereby also identify themselves as not vaccinated. And so I think it was it was well-intended but uh, ill-informed policy compounded by imprecise communication, compounded by the fact that children and protecting children was never front and center a part of the public health messaging regarding masks in the spring and early summer. I, I would say, if I could say one other thing, one of the the phrases we heard is that this is becoming a pandemic of the unvaccinated. That was intended to motivate people to get vaccination. But I heard it as um, quite hurtful to parents of children who were not eligible of vac- vaccination. It was like they were pointing a finger saying, you're the ones who are going to get it and carry the burden now. And I think that that was not well, not intended, but not well thought out and really uh, a, a, an unrecognized and, and a negative consequence of the way this played out. You've got this, I guess, government bureaucracy trying to manage this out of control pandemic how how do we control this messaging how do we improve it is there 
somebody who just needs to step up and say, okay, I'm in charge, because you have these various conflicting viewpoints, and even people with the best of intentions don't always agree. I think that's right. So let's acknowledge that this pandemic has been extraordinarily difficult to deal with. Let's acknowledge wearing masks is not fun for parents, for children, or for anyone. Let's acknowledge that we are learning new things about this virus, and it is changing all the time. So to my mind, it's not about finger pointing, but what can we learn from it? One of the things that I did not see front and center was the inclusion of child health people, pediatricians, um, as a part of the public health brain trust. Maybe they were there, but they weren't visible, which led me to feel like issues regarding children were not getting the full consideration. Keep in mind, I, I am very fortunate. I have had a voice in this uh, pandemic, partially through the media, partially through my research, um, and partially through the relationships I have in the child health world. And I felt I was not being heard and, and wasn't able to be heard even with that voice. Then think about parents uh, and others who are trying to get by on a daily basis with their children in school or daycare or not, and therefore not being that the parents not being able to work, it was much harder on them. And I don't think this was well appreciated. So yes, I think having a common voice and message with clearly coordinated um, uh, release of those messages would be helpful. It also has to be the right message. And I think the message was off subtly. I think the focus was on getting adults to use the vaccine. That was an incredibly important focus, but not at the expense of thinking about children and the other factors that come into play. Dr. Kleinman is also founding director of something called PopQuiz, the Division of Population Health, Quality, and Implementation Sciences. He's professor of global urban public health at Rutgers School of Public Health. So we wanted to hear more from him about the risk for school kids this year with the Delta variant and before the vaccines will even arrive. Let's talk about Delta. What, how has Delta impacted children and what, what kind of cases are you seeing? Well, I, I think Delta is more contagious. Uh, the sense I have is that when people are infected, when kids are infected with Delta virus, uh, they may get a, a, a larger dose, and therefore we may be seeing some kids get sicker. It may just be that so many more kids have the virus, that it's the same proportion. We don't really know if it per se is more serious. There's some conflicting data out there, um, but it may be. And... Um, uh, it, it, we're seeing many children get sick, many children get hospitalized, and it is shattering, I hope, finally, the myth that COVID-19 spares children or, or that children are not an important consideration 
when thinking about the management of this pandemic. So is this COVID per se you're talking about, or is it also this uh, MIS-C, this multi-system inflammatory syndrome? Is it both of those things, or is it just your standard COVID? Well, I think it's three things. I think we are talking about children who get uh, an acute infection that we think might think of as standard COVID. Um, back in, uh, in May of 2020, we published an article looking at the pediatric intensive care units uh, at a number of them across the United States, actually across North America, although all the cases at that time were in the United States. And we found that there were kids who were very sick acutely, that most of them had some kind of an underlying condition, either in terms of a chronic illness or obesity, but that about one in six in an intensive care unit had no underlying conditions. So there was always a risk for this acute illness. Then in July, we published on MISC, and what we found was that it often seems to come out of the blue with fever and other inflammatory symptoms uh, three, four, five weeks after the, the initial infection. Some of those children were asymptomatic and the infection was um, identified either serologically or meaning by, by finding antibodies or uh, just epidemiologically, meaning the children were exposed but we didn't actually have a biomarker to prove that they'd been infected. And this is a real problem, and some of these children get very, very seriously ill. Almost all of them recover, thankfully, almost all. Then there's long COVID, which may be the brain fog or headaches or stomach aches or other long-term symptoms that don't meet the criteria of MISC, but are a um, what's now called a PASC, a post-acute sequelae of COVID, P-A-S-C. And um, we don't know how common this is. Some studies suggest it's one in 10. Some suggest it's almost one in two. And the NIH is just embarking on studies of that. We at, at Rutgers Robert Johnson Medical School are gonna be a part of that. Um, but we don't have definitive numbers on how common this is in kids or in adults. And that's one of the reasons I'm so concerned about it in children, is we just don't know what the long-term impacts of this are. And I don't wanna discover in five years that we ignored an illness and let children get it um, only to learn that uh, they have serious problems downstream because of it. I think we need to prevent this to the extent possible, and that's why masking, vaccines, and all these other things, um, hand washing, ventilation, filtration, um, social distancing come into play. In New Jersey right now, there are 23 school outbreaks. Is this just the beginning? I think until the children are vaccinated, uh, we will continue to see school outbreaks. And, and these are uh, outbreaks in states where 
there is masking are going to be less frequent than those in states where there's not. But masking is imperfect. People are imperfect in how they wear their masks, and the masks themselves have some effectiveness but are not perfectly effective. There is something known as the Swiss cheese model that's uh, created by a, a gentleman named James Reason thinking about safety events or accidents that occur. And um, he, he uses the metaphor of Swiss cheese because you may have layers of cheese as different protective barriers, and they each have holes. When the holes all line up is when something bad happens. So when we vaccinate, we provide one layer of protection. When we, and when the teachers are vaccinated and the staff are vaccinated, that's a layer of protection. When the kids are vaccinated, that's another layer of protection. Wearing masks is a layer of protection. The ventilation filtration is a layer of protection. Hand washing, the cleaning of high contact surfaces is our layers of protection. So the more of these we are able to utilize, physical distancing is a layer of protection. The more of these we're able to utilize, um, the, the fewer outbreaks there will be. But so long as it's circulating in the community, it's not gonna be zero. And any kind of a congregating activity where, where people come together in a close space and breathe the air that was exhaled by someone else provides risk. That's why outdoor is not perfectly safe. If you're separated and it's, there's ventilation, it's not likely. If you're up close in somebody's face in an athletic event, you're, they're breathing on you and you're breathing on them, there's the opportunity for spread. So I, I, I do think that, um, that these will not be isolated and disappear, although I do hope that with vaccination, they will become less frequent, less severe, and, uh, and uh, do less harm to the health of children. There's this uncertainty about how schools should deal with positive cases. So do you quarantine everybody in class? Do you test them regularly? What's your best advice on how to deal with the, a COVID case in a classroom? I think it's really uh, an important question with unsatisfying answer. Um, I, I think that uh, quarantine or isolation of those who were exposed is important. I think you may be able to shorten the period of quarantine with uh, testing. The testing has to be sufficiently following the exposure, three days, five days, and it has to be a good quality test uh, administered uh, in a way that, that gets the correct specimen, whether it's saliva or a swab. So, um, but, but combining uh, isolation, separation, quarantine with testing may, um, may allow uh, children back into the classroom the soonest. Without the testing, it's a little bit longer that one needs to wait. I do think that some variation of, um, of hybrid learning in which kids who are out are able to participate in, uh, in, in their classroom experience remotely 
is desirable um, for those places that are able to deliver it. I, I also think, and this is this is not specifically in relation to um, this question, but relates to, to several things we've discussed. We need to be aware of the inequities in terms of infrastructure and resources across school districts and other places. Equity matters. Um, doing the right thing and putting resources where they're needed so that uh, children who may be financially, economically, or otherwise disadvantaged um, are not further disadvantaged any more than is absolutely necessary by this pandemic um, is important. Uh, and and um, school is important and social interactions are important. Um, this is all a balancing act and, and nobody knows exactly what the right balance is. But I think it, it the, the one thing we should be rigid about is our values that we need to keep children safe and provide them the resources they need to grow and develop. Exactly how we do that, we are still learning and we need to be open um, and not rigid in that regard. Last question for you, and I guess part of it is, you know, asking you to look into your crystal ball, but heading into winter, more people inside, less outdoor activity, and and yet we it seems like the the curve is flattening a little bit or at least plateauing now. What what do you foresee for the months ahead? My hope is that uh, children five to twelve will have a vaccine available to them soon, and parents will take advantage of that. I think that can help to blunt or um, or reverse any negative trends uh, due to being um, indoors. I think that we will, uh, I hope that we will have a vaccine for those under five before the year is out and that that can help to blunt things. I think vaccination and flu vaccination as well are very important because there, there is a risk of uh, a flu and COVID coming together. There is a risk of RSV, respiratory syncytial virus, which is a, uh, a common winter virus, which actually has been around some this summer, which is somewhat unusual, um, and COVID uh, running together. So um, vaccination is, is really important. Masking and social distancing uh, when outside of your small group uh, whom you, you agree to be safe together with um, what were called pods in the beginning of the pandemic it is important. And um, I'm concerned about the winter. Uh, I choose to be hopeful that the vaccines will make a difference and that parents will have the insight to use them for their children. Um, and uh, and I and and I hope and pray that uh, none of my fears are realized, and uh, and that we have a, a much more optimistic scenario than than I worry about. Doctor Clement, you've been very patient. I appreciate your time. Is there anything else you want to add, or have we covered it? I, I've been around a long time, and. 
I'm optimistic because of how we've come together to bring science to uh, to allow us to help to manage the pandemic, to develop the vaccines in quick order. I worry because somehow the pandemic has become a wedge issue. And from my perspective, there isn't politics here, there is health. And that um, I, I acknowledge and share the frustration of people who don't want to be wearing a mask, who don't like the idea of putting foreign substances in their body via a vaccine, who worry about these things. I'm concerned about all of this too. Nonetheless, on balance, as individuals and as a community and a society, we will be better off if everyone who's eligible for a vaccine and doesn't have a medical reason not to have one has it. And if in the meantime, we were to wear masks when we're in uh, public activities. And, and uh, I choose to be optimistic that we can come together uh, to, uh, to address this pandemic without thinking of it as a political or, um, uh, uh, or wedge issue. Our thanks to Dr. Larry Kleinman, who spoke to our Peter Haskell. 880 In-Depth is a production of WCBS News Radio 880. Dempsey Pilat is our production assistant. Listen to us on your time. Audio on demand on the Odyssey app or WCBS880.com or wherever you get your audio. Just search for 880 In-Depth. I'm Tim Schell. Thank you for listening. And as always, please be really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.